I'm your host, Samaita Graver, and I want to welcome you to Truth, Salt, and Spice, the podcast where you will find conversations steeped in biblical truths, sprinkled with salt, and a dash of spice thrown in, you know, for good measure. Good morning! <laughs> good morning! <laughs> you know, I am so excited to have you on here. Uh- <laughs> Well, I might be a blessing or a curse, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, Linda. Don't be talking like that, Linda. Oh my gosh, you cracked me up. I have to say that we've never met in person, but I, you're required to be like my best friend in life. I talk about you all the time because you're absolutely hysterical, but you're passionate and deep, but then you're absolutely hysterical. <laughs> you have like the best pr- social media personality I probably have ever met. Oh my! Okay, so you are now my new best friend. (laughs) Um, You know, I can't afford uh, much, but you know, I can, I can, you know, shout out. I'll even go visit you. Oh wait, no, it's cold now. I don't do cold. When it warms up, (laughs) I'll go and visit you. (laughs) You, You're you're bordering Canada. I don't do. I don't do north. You got like 70 degrees this week. So you have about seven days to make up your mind if you want to come visit. Because from what I know, the weather here, it changes on the on a dime. So it could be, we could be free. It was 39 degrees this morning bringing the kids to school. No, that's winter. <laughs> Honey, we haven't hit, we haven't hit fall yet. So no, yeah. the, the, the answer, my name is no. My sign is no, you need to let it go. Now we'll talk again. <laughs> the perfect answer ever. <laughs> We'll talk again next summer. Yeah, we will, yeah, for sure. Which won't be until like August here, because that's New England. <laughs> so. Wow, I missed my window by a few yeah. weeks. I should have gone visit, gone and visited you last Girlfriend, month. Friend, the the peepers are coming. The leaf peepers are coming. They drive all the way from California to come see our our leaves. So, what? Yeah, New England is known for leaves. So well, yeah. I mean, I live in Pennsylvania, yeah. so I've heard. But you yeah. know, no, no, millions every year come to to witness witness the change of leaves. Yes. Yeah, I watch it on TV. They look pretty. <laughs> too. Be nice and warm under a blanket. Nice and warm. Yeah. Well, you have to have pretty much the same. I would say this. Yeah, we're a little part. behind. I guess if you guys are changing now, usually, if you know. Everything works out well. Sure. Our average peak time is mid October. Okay. So and you, guys, you guys, you guys are a little earlier, I think, mm. um, from what I hear. Although I saw, wasn't it you that put some pictures up of some leaves changing? Oh, of course. I have a natural no. love affair with nature. Mm. No. I mean, I do, but it has to be above yeah. eighty. I see. I. <laughs> Palm trees changing. Yeah, do that, honey. I, I I lived in Texas, and I was like, "What are these palm trees going to change colors?" Like, they do. They change yeah. from green yeah. to yellow to dead brown. To, to, to the, <laughs> and yes. then the coconuts drop. And I think that's why the rustic orange is the the label that Texas has for coloring. Oh, Pretty sure of it. Oh my! When are the palm trees changing? <laughs> you are hysterical. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! I tried. I, don't know if I we're got gonna... a Starbucks little. Uh, I got a little treat for myself. Some blonde rose with two stevia, some extra cream, and I'm I'm ready to go. I feel the energy burst. So you got about an hour with me before it, the, you know I start declining <laughs> and slobbering. <laughs> 
have to go. I have to put my head down and go get the kids from their private preschool and go back. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. So you got me for being like a real woman, independent, empowering for like an hour, and then I go into shock. So I'll 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 do two Starbucks. It's good, girl. It's good. It's just. I mean, we have Dunkin' Donuts on every corner, and I love my Dunkins. I do love my Dunkins, but I get a shock. When I get Starbucks, it's like a shock of, of the caffeine. Oh my so. goodness! <laughs> so yes, you know, yeah. I was actually as I was thinking about our, you know, our interview coming up, I was like, mm-hmm. how in the world did I even get to be friends with you on uh, Facebook? Because you- I don't even know what where, where, where you came from. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how true connection forms on social media. We just are in yes. each other's group at one time. I think it was Jenny Allen's The Village. Was no, it? I've never been at Jenny Allen's. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> oh my god! How did we get connected? <laughs> Holy crap! I thought that's where we got connected. You were part of the group, The Village. No, that sounds like that movie. No, that sounds. That's why I said that Jenny Allen's. Nothing like With I don't want to be in The Village. Kids, like their eyes glow red. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us are similar. I'm not part that. of that cult. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, no, I, I like Jenny Allen. That was just a joke. Oh, um, but no, that that was not it. Um, did you do um, Jen Hatmakers for the for the love? No, no, no. Okay, never read so any of that. her books. No. no, no. Then I don't know where we must have been. Somebody <laughs> that knew somebody that knew somebody. It now we have to find be. out so we can thank them. Yeah. How do we do that? How do you find out where you're you... not in the adoption community? Are you? No. No, that wasn't it. We were destined. Oh my gosh, it's a surprise friendship that we yes. didn't even know about. We just started talking, and that's how social media works. That's why yes, I love, I love it. it. Yep. Yes, I do love it. So, because of your post, which let me tell you something. Sure. I, I don't generally like dress as much. Every once in a while, I wake <laughs> up and think, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to be feminine today. Mm-hmm. But every time I look at your pictures, I'm like, you look like you came out from I don't know what era that is because you wear those dresses. <laughs> but I feel like I'm watching a movie from back in the day. I just I just love it. So when did you come in, in into that? Like but My whole style with the <laughs> yes. retro look? Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Retro? Yeah, whatever. Well, I don't know. Like, I, I was raised by my grandmother who that was their, her error. And oh. I grew up putting on, you know, going through her closet and whipping out those, those long, you remember those long furry, what were they called? The coats, the wool, co- I mean, wool coats, the real stuff, the stuff you put on and you're like, girl, you are Audrey Hepburn today type of coat. And so I, most of my childhood, I grew up with that type of clothing that I would just dress in. She's like, put it away. We don't wear that stuff anymore. And I'm like, oh, fine. So, you know, I would, you know, put it away. But it, I, I don't know. I think, honestly, my spirit is in the wrong generation. <laughs> I do. I am so in love with that era. I mean, not obviously, you know, that became the light of women empowerment and um, so many amazing things. But and a lot of hard things, a lot of hard things. Um, so I have a love affair with, with that, the 1940s and 1950s, the women especially. And I've always loved history. I've been a history fanatic my entire life. You know, American studies class, you know, that my teacher would have to duct tape my mouth because I was like, <laughs> and she's like, I can't handle you right now as a student. Like you ask too many questions, like. I, you know, she would always tell me, Kate, just back up, 
back up for a minute. And I'm like, no, I want to know every, I was like, you know, a sponge, even high school and college, I was a sponge for it. And so, yeah, I just have a, a, a huge appreciation. And a lot of the dresses that I wear, um, come from modern Millie's in Salem, Mass. And she's an awesome mom and she has a boutique and definitely look her up online. Um, but I, I love it. I do. I, I don't know. I honestly say it's just the wrong error. I think I was supposed to be in the 1940s and 50s, but that would be a problem. <laughs> that would have been a problem. You would, I, your mouth would have been taped. Oh my so listen, God. I made this mistake in one of my last recordings. I just kept talking and I never told my person to introduce themselves. So at the end, I hung up. <laughs> oh. um, I well, guess I'm going to have okay. to go back and ask her some details that people want to know about her. So how yeah. about we back up a little bit? Sure. You introduce yourself, say as much or as, yeah. yes, or as little as you want people to know about you. No, that's fine. And I'll then we'll book. go to there to your fascinating story. I mean, I only know like a little fraction. From so. what I put up on. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody was Absolutely. like, you need to write a book. I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I have three little or two little kids under the age of five. I'm like, maybe eventually, but right now I'm using social media as my platform as an open book. So yeah. <laughs> Ask away, well, my ahead. dear. I have, you know, I don't, I'm as transparent as they come. That was one of the gifts I've learned about life. So now go ahead and tell people what you want them to know. I guess we now you know we we know you have two kids. What else do you want us to know oh, about you? Sure. Like well, at least is, as far you know, as your family and whatever. Yeah. Did we did we say my name? <laughs> <laughs> say my name. Say my name. When no one, when is, no one around is around you. you. Go ahead. Baby. Oh, <laughs> so my name is Kate and I go by Kate E. Katie, um, Umbra, or you can call me Kate, Caitlin, Catherine. It's derived uh, Irish spelling for Catherine, says my mother. Um, and so it's usually, uh, growing up, I was known as Kate. My official birth certificate name is Caitlin. I, but I still feel like I'm not old enough for that. That's <laughs> Oh, there's an age for Caitlin. Yes, there is an age. <laughs> and there is a, a level of importance and yeah, worthiness to have claim that title. And I just don't feel like when my grandmother was screaming it off the, the top of the hill where I used to live, Caitlin, I just don't feel like I got there yet. I'm not there yet. <laughs> so um, my funny. last name is Umbra and I grew up on the East coast of New, New Hampshire in New England. Um, and I ha- probably am getting a little bit of the Mark Wahlberg accent a little bit. I, I refer that to, but uh, moved out to the Midwest for seven years with my husband. He's a nuclear. We have two beautiful kids. I have an older daughter, Jalen. She's 19, almost 19 years old. Um, and so we're just kind of, um, I think I begin the journey of unraveling myself and, and learning and being more transparent and open and, I really want quality over quantity now as I am in my mid thirties. And of course I saw you and I love you and somehow your spirit just absolutely excites me. And so I, I follow you deeply on, on Facebook. Um, it might be stalking syndrome. I don't know. We might have, okay. to, you. I might have to get a book. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, just as long as you mention me in your yeah. book, we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. we'll do that <laughs> that's great yeah and so you know I, I have been following you as well um because well goodness your eyes too are just mesmerizing oh. just like oh, who who gets to get eyes like that i don't thank understand you i love but that. anywho thank you that's okay 
um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not jealous or envious at all. Just admiring <laughs> all that. Like, well, you know, I could, like, it's like swimming in tropical waters of Puerto Rico. I'm like, who oh, gets eyes like that? So unfair. No, joking. Um, Puerto Rico. You're mm-hmm. envious. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I see but your I, pictures and I'm like, oh. It is. It is. It is marvelous. It I am is. definitely grateful. The people are amazing. They're just so cultured and loving. And I just love the people. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, what isn't there to love? I know. Just, really. Listen, we'll, we'll have to do a whole the thing about that. The women are always energetic and loving and community and families. And I'm like, could we just rip that and just bring it bring it in here in the U.S.? That would be yes, great. Yes, please. You know? We've tried to, but you guys won't accept it. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Honey, We're I am not behind that train of events. You. Yeah, I'm the one pushing to make it all come here. People don't like me very much for that. They're like... They want to stay in their little box bubble. And I'm like, oh, no, we're going to oh, have Latin America move right in. Like, <laughs> we're going to be excited and loving and you're going to want to dance instead of being so uptight and angry and jealous. Yes, they need they need a little adobo yeah. in their personality. But anyway, let's get to yeah, your Sorry, story. honey. I'm no, mumbling. Fine. And yeah, sorry. It's the coffee. It's the coffee. Jeez, where um, are we in our life? But you've mentioned a couple yeah. times about growing up and sure. difficulties uh, with your mom. Yes. And I know you mm. said your grandma raised you. Now, was that your paternal or maternal grandmother? Well, P is for, raised you. for mom. M is for... No, paternal is father and maternal father, is mother. Father, yes. Okay. Ma- ma- yes. I, ha- mm-hmm. I have to remember the science class here. So, <laughs> 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 so she, my grandmother, um, who raised me, is my maternal. So my mother's mother. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, now, am I correct that your mom um, suffers from mental illness? Was that the issue or was it just the whole? So here's the interesting yes. part. Um, I grew up in Greenland, New Hampshire, and I lived in a multi-generational house. So if you can envision this, um, we had my brothers and sisters who are a lot older than I am. Uh, Two of them are 13, 14 years older. So they were starting families when I was nine. And so we all grew up in in that house. And um, so I got a lot of love and, and where my mom was suffering, it was, you know, I had other family to kind of step in. And I think that was a huge dramatic, um, shift in how I, how I think and see and feel things nowadays. So a little backstory of that is, um, if you don't break the cycle, it continues. Mm -hmm. And so with that being said, my grandmother went through a lot of hardships in her life. I mean, this woman was a light that I still till this day do not understand how she was able to, to overcome the obstacles, especially during economic depression and the, the war and being a female and a dominant and empowering female during that time, also being married to an, a very abusive man. And, um, and most of the time she had to hide it. And so that's where a lot of my mother's trauma comes from mm. is she had to witness that abuse for many, 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 many years, many, most of her life. And so I had to kind of, um, I had a lot of, issues with my mother before I was very angry of course being a child I was shamed shameful shamed Renee Mm -hmm. Brown was amazing she opened up kind of my my eyes and heart to that of where that comes from and so having not both parents living in the household my father was estranged um I felt extreme shame for her my grandmother would not 
have us talk negative about our mother. She would, and she lived with us. She would never, you know, she is your mother. You were to love her like God loves you. End of story. And that, mm. and I think that was an amazing, that opened up a different way or perspective for me as I got older, because we weren't allowed to say, you know, no, your mother is the way she is because of trauma and what has happened to her. She's not the way she is because that's how God created her. End of story. And so I think a lot of that perspective came as I got older because I understood that um, trauma, childhood trauma does not leave. I have seen psychologists, therapists, have had friends that are a part of the community and everything that we deal with in our adult life that's negative or, or hurtful is wounds that we occurred when we were children. Mm-hmm. And so knowing and understanding that um, was a breakthrough for my mother. She, like I said, I grew up with her and I, I was, I watched a lot of bad things happen. And that, that made me very angry with her because my perspective was you're the mother. You're supposed to be this, 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 this. You're supposed to be, you know, protecting us and keeping us safe. And, and, and all the whole while is my mother, she's basically a child herself and trying to navigate all this trauma was, was the biggest, the biggest obstacle for her. And so So she herself never learned that protective thing because she grew up in in an abusive environment. Now she was, was she abused as well? Or she just watched your grandmother be abused? I don't know the true story, hun, because she still doesn't talk about it. Mm. She will not. No matter what she goes, goes on in her head or her heart and her soul, she will never sit down. We, you know, between being in the homeless community and having outreach, you know, people that are extremely educated in this field of, of where she is in her life, which is being a part of the homeless, cannot break her. No, they cannot. Um, so we navigate a different life with her, but we still mm-hmm. navigate a life of love and understanding and empathy. And that, that is super huge. But, you know, at, she was at probably 18 when my grandmother sold the property that we lived at because she was getting older and she couldn't, she couldn't keep up with it anymore. And there was a lot of other economic issues going on with it. My mother kind of just left. And I went and, and moved in with my, I was 18 at the time, moved in with my um, boyfriend that I met in college and um, she just kind of disappeared. And mm. I didn't see her until I was 23 at my wedding and my grandmother still had some connection with her and, and whatever else and took her and got her hair done. And I remember seeing her, but she was gone. Like you just couldn't, you'd look in her eyes and you knew there wasn't anybody there. That was the craziest part of, of understanding life and, and this whole dynamic that we're in is that sometimes was she on medication no. or was her mental state that was her such mental that state she was all the gone. Time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, when I would like, she had an evil side in there or something inside of her mm-hmm. that she, because she didn't have an outlet for it. I don't know the true story, but she would wake me up as a kid in the middle of the night because she, she would be pacing with a cigarette in her mouth, either outside screaming at herself. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Like, so I'd run into my grandmother's room and I'm like, talk about like having to have like an exorcism performed. Like, that's what I thought as a kid. Like, but I, it wasn't something that I was terribly scared of because I understood it. Or to a point, I understood that was my mother. Oh, here she goes, because she'd go in her witching hour where she completely disconnected. And I'm Mm. talking, I'm talking disconnected of she didn't know who you were. 
why you were even like she was in her own dimension and she would be talking to this whatever person in her head and I would, you know, I would say to myself, like, and I would try to get in her face as I got older, because I would get angry with her. Mom, it's three o'clock in the morning. I have school tomorrow. I'm exhausted. You're keeping me up talking to whoever you're talking to. What is going on? And she would look at me and she'd go, is that you, Caitlin? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> it's been me the whole time. <laughs> like, It's not, but gone. Yeah. Just not any, any, I didn't see a soul. I didn't see, it just was like, she was so angry. And so it was, was normal in your life, normal. even though it was exasperating yeah, and whatnot. Now, normal. did this only happen at home? Were you like in public and she'd go no, to she a mental would, state? That's like, just the thing because they thought we had, I mean, my great uncle was a part of the um, Department of Health and Human Services. He was high up there with child, you know, abuse and and, you know, she would, and they tried many times, like we would have her have to be removed because she, it's usually when alcohol mixed in with that. Mm. So every time she would medic, she used alcohol as a medication as I got older in life. And it took like, okay, we can handle this sometimes to absolutely, it, it like brought the worst and the most evil part of her out. She would get combative and yell and go after my grandmother and you know, and it only happened at night and it was only when she went out drinking and she'd come back like that. And it was like, it was unbelievable. The time. So how was she when she wasn't drinking? Like, how was she during the day? She would, that's the thing is we didn't know. We thought it was schizophrenia. We were okay. for sure of it. Um, but every psychologist and person that I have talked to that, you know, is educated said, no, absolutely not. Your mom is dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder and probably, um, the other postpartum depression that went into psychosis. Mm. So they believe because my mother was hospitalized after I was born for postpartum depression. Okay. And so, um, and my father was a cop and um, she was a dispatcher and that's how they met. So she had on top of the childhood trauma that she went through, she also had all of the other, you know, negative and scary and sad things going on around her in her work. I mean, being a dispatcher, I mean, I couldn't, I can't imagine, you know, I have so much, so much gratitude for them. Um, it's an emotional job. And so, you know, having all of that and her trauma or whatever, we were for sure it was schizophrenia, but we have found out since that it's a postpartum depression, psychosis, PTSD. And will she, uh, did she not take her medication or did they prescribe no. medication? She, they prescribed medication when I yeah. was, when she was admitted, when I was born and she took it and my si older siblings said she did very well with it. Um, but then she stopped mm. and that's when, and then she refused. She would not, she wouldn't take it at all. She wouldn't even look at it. She would not even look at you when you were talking to Anna. and pleading with her. We did, we would have family dinners and discuss how are we going to help our mother? Like, what are we going to do? And it, nothing, because she would just leave. She would, she was, you know, she found happiness or security in other men. And yeah. so she would just leave with, I mean, we owned a campground and that was like a, you know, a slot machine for different type of single men. And so yeah. she would just find whatever one kept her secure, felt connected and she'd leave with them. And sometimes me and my brother had to come along. Because my grandmother would, would be like, oh, no, you know, she's doing well. So a lot of denial in the family at times as yeah. well. 
you know, oh, because we had, she, my grandmother had so much hope for her. Your mom has just had a traumatic life. You know, she's going to get better. Hope, 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 hope. Nan, my grandmother was a positive soul. Not once in my life did I ever see her break down and say, it's not like this isn't happening anymore. I can't mm. make it through. She never did that ever. And so she always had hope and positivity. And so she always thought my mom would be okay. So we would take adventures sometimes to New York four or five hours away at three o'clock in the morning. And we would turn around. <laughs> you oh, know, my. So, yeah. So, so she was very off the whim. Like as soon as she got bad feelings, she would run with them. And so I was, you know, conditioned in that atmosphere. It was, it was crazy. But, um, you know, I, I feel like that was kind of a gift to see. Did that you grow up? going to church or like what was your religious background so my religious background was my grandmother was a devout christian she okay. spent most of her life in church um and um when i was born you know i was baptized uh, um as a christian i believe my father comes from the catholics yeah he is catholic side of things mm -hmm. so i can't really tell you a lot about the background of that um, but I grew up in a very devout Christian atmosphere. My grandmother um, spent all of her life in church and she was a organist and a soloist for the church. She had records um, and she would sing. I mean, I have beautiful, well, my cousin does and I'll be getting them, but I have beautiful recordings of her. Breaking the Bread was one of her many famous soloist positions that she did around the, around the, the state. And, um, you know, she, but she never, she never it's weird because she never pushed any of the Bible teachings onto us. It, and, you know, it was like she'd pray with us. And she so I always tell people I was I learned religion in reverse. So I learned who Jesus was before I knew what the Bible was. And that mm. kind of transitioned my whole perspective on things, because I was like, words are words. And they're, 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 they have a sole purpose of guiding. But if you really want to walk the way Jesus did, you have to throw in the action because mm -hmm. without it, you're, it's just words. Well, the Bible says faith without deeds is dead. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly. And my grandmother lived for that. And she raised us like that. She, we would have homeless people in our house. We would have people that had no money or even people that chose alcohol over there feeding their children. And she would let them stay in, in the, the business that we had, which was a campground. And it had a, 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 like a little restaurant and, you know, but she wanted to create a fun and loving and safe and happy atmosphere for everybody. And she did that by bringing people off the road, people that, you know, they would sit down at her table, not even knowing the woman and say, I can't afford to pay for this tenting site tonight. And my grandmother would say, don't you worry about it. If that's if you don't have, you know, the money or whatever, you stay here until you get back on your feet. And it was crazy because as we got older, we thought, oh, man, just had a campground and she wanted the family to be a part of it. But once I started understanding really what her mission was, it was like it was mind blowing because she wouldn't admit to it any other way. She would just say, no, it was just a loving atmosphere. And I and everybody knew Nan as being the one that you could sit at the table with and tell your life story to. And there was no judgment passed. Mm -hmm. She would ask you to come back the next day. She loved you where you were and she gave you hope for a better life for yourself through, you know, obviously connections with the Bible, but through her own experiences as well. And that was that was really um, 
really amazing. What, that's too. a gift. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so let's let's start digging here. You yeah, know, and, you know, and getting just keep getting me on into track, the crux. Honey, I will. Like, I, I will. There's so much in my life and stories. <laughs> At 36 years old, I'm like, I. You want me to write a book? Like which parts? <laughs> I have a volume one. <laughs> an encyclopedia for every journey I've been on. <laughs> so yeah. let's talk about how this kind of trauma affected yeah. you like more specifically and mm-hmm. you know you go as deep as you know you feel comfortable oh, um, yeah. because like what what I know to be true is that as you grow up you make up stuff about the world sure. about yourself about mm-hmm. people according to what your limited you know um uh mental capacity as a child you know and right. so you take those beliefs into um, you're, you know, old, as an older child and then to adulthood and then you behave accordingly. Yeah. So what, what did you make up about yourself or about whatever? I don't want to put things in your, you know, no, in your, no, in your mouth. And then how did that then um, manifest as, as you grew up? Okay. Like, so- like what do you know that's like, oh, because of this, this is what I did. And this is how I lived. And this is how I live now. Yeah. So I, because I grew up in, and my family, and I'm saying besides my mother having a mental illness, I come from a very uh, stable and connected family. My Mm -hmm. aunts and uncles are all educated, highly educated with PhDs and engineering and, and nurses and doctors and, and whatnot. And so I, and a divorce wasn't a big thing. Divorce was a big thing on my mother's side, on Mm -hmm. my mother's life because of her trauma and her whatever. And so I, as a child, would look at that, even my father who partaked in my life here and there, he was more, he came in, you know, he was the fun dad. Like we would, he'd come in every two weeks or once a month or maybe a week out of the summer and take us on fun vacations. And he remarried after um, my parents divorced when I was two. So he remarried really soon after that and had another child. And so he had another life he was partaking in. Um, And so I had the ideology um, seeing what my brothers and sisters had because they lived Mm. with us and they married their sweethearts, their high school sweethearts. And they had four children each very close in age, which is very interesting. (laughs) They're all like six months apart. They were pregnant together. It was it was fascinating. My sister-in-law and my sister were pregnant together. and, And so they were raised. The kids are so connected still till this day. Because we were raised in such a knit, knit, closed um, family. But um, seeing that, that's what I wanted. And that, and, you know, listening to, you know, my grandmother talk about her relationship, which she didn't dive very deep into the personal aspects of her and my grandfather, only that they were married and he was not a very happy man. He went to, into the war, went to the Himalayan Islands for seven years, very traumatic experience, came back ugly as ever mean, combative, abusive. Um, and so I had this perception that God wanted me to have the same, uh, and any, it didn't, it didn't matter. Like I needed to, I needed desperately to find a mate and to, um, I wanted to live like that. I wanted to have a husband and I wanted to grow up with him and have kids with him. And, and that was my, that was what I thought that that's how it's supposed to go in life. Right. That's how I thought I wanted, I didn't want to turn out. I wanted nothing to do with my mother's what how she lived her life because my fear as a child was my god people are going to think i'm going to turn out like her Mm. i'm going to be her 
And I'm that I was so scared of that, that judgment or shame, even though nobody said anything, <laughs> you know, nobody yeah. said anything to me that I know of. Maybe they did. I don't know. But they, nobody said, you're going to be like your mother because you do this, this, and this, but that shame followed over my head. And I was like, I can't be like her. I can't have six or four different marriages and have different children with different father. And like, I can't do that. But so I ended up getting into um, a very quick relationship where I conceived at the age of 16 or 16 and a half, almost 17 and brought my daughter into the world when 9-11 happened. And I was very young. And here we go. I'm telling you right now, I, I feel there's a huge connection with traits of our parents that follow if we don't see where we need to break it. And my mother mm-hmm. was a young mother. My grandmother wasn't a young grandmother, but my mother was a young mother. She had my sister at 19. And so I was like, that's it. As soon as I found out that I made that mistake one time, you know, being a kid, being a teenager, I had some trauma that I didn't know was existing in me, obviously. And I was wanting to be crazy, rebellious and be a 16 year old. And so, you know, that happened and I conceived my daughter and then I wanted to keep the relationship so tight, so tight that I went through a lot of issues, a lot of traumatic events, a lot of trying to get him to be a better father, trying to keep our family together. And it just didn't work. And so I let that go at, at, I think I was 18 when that happened, when we um, disconnected. And so I got into another relationship very fast after that. And because I wanted, I'm like, oh crap, I messed up. (laughs) Yeah. Your your goal was not going like you, it's like, okay, this is, it's yeah, not I going needed, as right, planned. <laughs> right. Like he wasn't what I wanted. He wasn't what I believed that God wanted for me and nothing. But, you know, I made that mistake and I was really trying to to do better I, for our for our child at the time. And, you know, just having that 16 and 17 year old mentality, like, you know, I just wanted to do better. And so I got into a really um, I ran really fast into a relationship with somebody that I was like, he has all the markers that I need. He has my father's qualities, which is, um, you know, the brain of, of computer science. And mm-hmm. he was he was eager and intriguing and romantic and 18. I mean, come on. But, you know, thinking about it like <laughs> cake. <laughs> But going to, he was in college and we took classes together and, you know, um, I ran right head first into that, that relationship thinking that this is it. This is my 18 year old. I'm going to follow the rest of the footsteps of my family, not be like my mother, get into this relationship. And then that's going to be forever. Right. And Mm -hmm. I will do whatever it takes to make sure that this is going to be forever because I can't have that shame. I can't have that shame on me or my daughter or anything of my mother's past experiences or what went wrong in her life. And so I succumbed to six years of narcissistic abuse. Mm. Terrible. You know, it started off at great romantic loving. Um, I was like, I was so on top of cloud nine, you know, that I thought, man, this guy was just everything that I've ever wanted in my life. And, you know, his parents were angels. They were supportive. They helped, you know, they moved me into their house at 18 with my daughter and you know, it was just so great. And then did your uh, family or friends see this behavior and warned you or yeah, was he a lot that of good the, of a charm? Yeah, from the- a lot of the friends that he had, we, he went to high school in the neighboring town. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, would, would mention it to my brother. They mentioned it to me, like, he's just not stable. And I was like, mm. what do you mean? He's not stable. Like he's going to school. He wants to, he has all these ambitions and dreams and whatever. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm not going to listen to anybody. This, you know, I got to keep my marriage intact. I can't have that shame. I have to do whatever I have to do to, to push through it. And 
when I think when you do that, you block yourself from God's like reality check slapping you upside the head. Like all the signs were there. Well, it doesn't help either that while your grandmother did have the gift to see the best in people. Yeah. You weren't taught to deal with, okay, let's Mm -mm. see the best in people, but let's see the reality too. No, and that's still my weakness yeah. today. I have, ah, oh, okay. yeah. I mm-hmm. can't, I see you for your potential and what you can do. And I cannot, I will look past anything that you've done because I see a better, a better person that you can become or who you should become or whatever gift that is. Mm-hmm. that I think I, I have had through that. I do believe that is it, it can be a gift. Of, or can be, Yes, exactly. It can be for right. sure. I mean, who but wants to be around fact- somebody that only sits there and points out your freaking flaws? Right, right. <laughs> exactly. But it can be, yes. it can be har- harmful mm-hmm. to the person that is that is carrying that gift because then we don't see like the abuse or things that are coming our mm-hmm. way. So, you know, I, he dropped out of school and didn't work. And I was having, a, I had a child, a young, she was one years old. And I was like, I was going to school. I had two jobs. I was doing whatever it took to keep us on survival mode because God forbid at that time, I would not ask for help. I would not ask for, I was just so shamed. And I, I mm-hmm. don't, you know, I wouldn't ask for help from the state. I wouldn't ask for, I wanted to prove something like, okay, here we go. And that's where I think the trauma of my mother always comes in part. Like I have to prove that I'm not going anywhere near her. Like I'm not going down that path of her. And so I really hurt myself a lot. And, you know, it's sad because I grew up running 96 acres of fields of beautiful woods of being so free And so that's where I would go if I felt upset or my mom did something or I didn't understand life is I would always go back to nature that I was barefoot my whole childhood. People were like, Helen, would you put the sneakers on the child? And she would be like, I can't force her to do anything. Like she just, I was like, fine, I'll wear the dress, but my butt is climbing that tree. Like that was me. I was like, my daughter is Helen, my free. And I didn't think, and I didn't let my brain engage and say, stop. I let my soul lead always until I started this whole understanding other people judging and shame. It shot every potential that I, cause everybody would be like, Helen, your granddaughter's going to be something amazing. She's dominant. I was so dominant over my own thoughts. And even at school, they would be like, you need to calm down or go into law. Maybe law's good for you, but you need to calm down. And I was like, you know, all the time I was having people say, you're too much, you're too much, mm. you're too much, you're too much. Be quiet. You know, let this happen. It's fine. Da, da, da. And I was, and it hurt. Oh my gosh, did it hurt me? I, it, it hurt. And so I got into this relationship and I was th- thinking the seeing the best things and, and also shaming myself and putting what my soul, I believe was here to do in a cage. Like, nope, you're going to shut up because everybody told me that this isn't right. And this is not how I need to be living my life. So you're going to be quiet and I'm going to just carry on in this. And then, you know, going through it all and being devoted one day, I, I went to college, um, after when you're in it, you don't see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I started taking classes again after I had, we had two children together, um, two boys. And uh, taking classes again, and my teacher, oh my gosh, he was just amazing. My English teacher um, at SNHU, and 
he would just say little things like, wow, you're, you're very insightful or just little affirmations, just the littlest affirmation. And mind you, I come from my grandmother who always put positive affirmations in my head. So I'm like, I never thought that I was lacking any of that because it would be like, Caitlin, you can do whatever you want, you know, this and that and the other thing, but it was headbutting what the outside world was telling me. And so when the outside world started giving me affirmations, I was like, this is, wow, I feel it. I'm feeling empowered. I'm feeling like I could do stuff and like I can be a better person or I could accomplish things that I really, that I want to accomplish and not think of it as selfish. Because every time I would think of me doing anything I wanted to do, I'm like, Caitlin, you shut up. That's selfish. That's not, no, God wants you to consistently give yourself up to everybody else. And that's what you're going to do. And so that's, that was my philosophy all the time. Mm. Give your entire self to somebody and, and they will love you if you do that and they will treat you well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then Prince that Charming turned into a frog. Right. That, <laughs> like I had love from all other aspects that he had a great family that loved. And I think that was a huge issue. I think that's what really weighed me down because I wanted our children at that time to be a part of something um, connecting and stable and healthy. And so, and I was just so dead strong and trying to keep it and uh, keeping it healthy. And it was falling apart around me. I was drowning, trying to hold on to that branch in the water. Like, you know, it, it was crazy. And then, you know, um, one day I came home and I said, I, I'm really just tired of not being felt like I'm appreciated, you know, this, he would be swearing or angry with me. I was never good enough. I couldn't work enough jobs, even though he didn't have any. And, you know, this, so uh, you were raising two boys, three children three. at the time. Yeah. So I was 20. So your daughter. Years old. Yep. Uh huh. Yep. And so, then you had two more. I did. I had Gabe. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. I had Gabe and I had Noah and I had Gabe at 20 and Noah at 23, uh, okay. a little younger of 23. And we went to church and I partaked in that. And um, they told me at the Christian church that it, you know, I needed to get married. It was not healthy that we lived out of wed with our children. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, oh my God, here's another shame. Like, yeah. What am I doing? Like, I need to get married. Like, this is what the problem is. You see, we're not married. And so he can treat me whatever he wants. But when we're married, he's going to have the husband role and it's going to be respectful and appreciated. And this is going to be great. And so we're going to get married. Right. And so, yeah, we got married and it got worse. <laughs> It got a lot worse. The, the, you know, never physical, but all emotional. Like just, he didn't want me to talk to him. He wanted his own, he went into his office and closed the door all day. He I didn't even trust him to bathe our children. And so he was just, he didn't, he didn't want the life that was there, but he felt like he was forced into it. I don't know, but understanding that he also comes from a long line of mental issues. And I'm like, as well. Here we go. Mm. I was connected with somebody that resembles my mother. Mm -hmm. And so you're uh, picking that up. Yep. And so I think that you're, you, if you don't fix it and correct it and heal from it, you're going to reflect it. And it's, mm -hmm. you're going to think it's amazing. And then you're going to find out the truth. And so, you know, I went through that. Um, you know, I went and felt empowered and, and told him that I, I wanted it to be changed. And he said, fine, that's great. All right. Well, uh, good for you. <laughs> 
see you. It's great, great knowing you. Right. And I said, no, I said, I'm done. I'm done. I can't six years of my life. I've given to you and I've loved you and no appreciation. And he would always turn it around saying that I was selfish and needy and that's ridiculous and, and whatever else. And I said, you know, I said, I'm going to take my daughter and um, his parents were very much involved in our life. And I was like, I'm going to go get situated at my brother's house and then I'm coming back for the boys. And that was our agreement. And he was fine Mm -hmm. with it. He didn't want, you know, anything to do with being a dad at the time or whatever. And so moved, moved everything out, moved, you know, went to my brother's house and I tried to come back and I got paperwork stating that he was going in for full custody for abandonment of, of the children or whatever else. And so I called him up and I was extremely angry with him and frustrated. And he said, okay, fine fine, fine, fine. All right. I get it. You just want the mother card. That's fine. We'll do the mother card. And I'm telling you, I devoted my life to him. Like everything he needed or wanted, or he was sad about, I was always there. So I thought that would be, he would do the same for me. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so we went and, um, he said, no, um, we went and did a, a personal agreement of childcare, which is joint custody between both of us. And we would agree to disagree together, not the course the worst thing I could ever do. I should have hired a lawyer at that time because he used that, that, that paperwork against me the entire time. And it turned into a six years of battling for my boys. And then, um, what I didn't find out is he was having an affair. I don't know how long, uh, he Mm -hmm. knew the girl for, since he was 13 and we were 18, we were together 18 to 24. So, um, probably a long time. And then she came in from Canada. He moved her in less than two weeks after I left and they got married very shortly after that. And then she got deported for running her visa. And then he fought the court system to bring the boys there. And so I was going back and forth at the New York border with them for years. And then eventually he got uh, residency in Canada and he was, he found the loophole and canceled all of, um, all the court system in New Hampshire. So that's that that was my that was my uh, wake up call. <laughs> oh, my. So do you yeah. did, were you not able to have a relationship with them anymore? No, or? he tried. Well, I have six years of it and he wanted to control every aspect. I was not allowed to be called mother or mom. I was not their mom. I was their biological mother. And so they didn't need to call me mom. They would to call his wife, his new wife, mom. And so I got to see the emotional abuse happen to my kids. Because what I didn't understand is I was the one protecting my children the whole time. And he would just come at me. And then eventually it turned into he came at the kids. And wow. he, How's your relationship now? I don't have a relationship. Oh, at all? No, yeah. I haven't seen them in seven years. Because every time they try to cross into New Hampshire, we have in the court system that still abided with the joint custody. And he doesn't. He won't. He won't con- I don't know they're coming in if they visit. And they, they leave very quickly. And so that's how he's been able to kind of keep me out of the picture for so long. So they're still minors? They are. Yep. They're. they're oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so. Oh my gosh, oh, Kate. Yeah. My it, heart is breaking for you. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was terrible. Fighting Canada is, is, I mean, I love the country, and but they are devoted to their people. And once those kids became Canadians, even the court system there was like, good luck. We're not letting them go. <laughs> like, basically. And I, I got, we had a lawyer here that my, my in-laws hired because I couldn't afford it. They hired one to help me. And because they knew, I mean, everybody in our family were on my side on this and he had nobody on that side because they understood and, and knew that what was going on was wrong. 
And so, you know, we had everybody in line on my side and trying to help and, and bring the boys back and stable. And it was like all odds were working against us all the time. Even the guardian of Lightham that was pointed told the judge that they are not stable with him. And still he granted them joint custody in Canada, joint custody from Canada. Wow. Yeah. And then once obviously, yeah, it's crazy. And so, you know, it became a time where it's like it was the the abuse got worse because then he had the upper hand and he would disconnect calls at any time. And when it was my time for them to visit, it was his responsibility to be bring them here. And he wouldn't. And there's nothing I can do about it when they are on in another country. You know, I could I called the police and called the human services over there. They followed him. They did whatever they could to do. But every time they he refused so yeah oh Oof. all right i need to breathe here i know it's hard okay so let's let's go to the next chapter okay <laughs> obviously you have two little ones now mm-hmm. <laughs> yes i do okay next so no, let me ask you this question <laughs> so you're like okay this is messed up you, you mentioned i should have written this down because now i can't remember exactly what you said but you said oh you said it was a wake-up call right so here's a wake-up call in your in your life and then what what happens? Like, what did you do now that made you be different? Or was mm-hmm. it one of these temporary ones that sometimes we do? We're like, oh, crap. Then we go back. To <laughs> oh, no. Anyway. I, was, I extremely, I looked, I just kind of, I was broken. And I was, I was done with life. And I said to myself, and, you know, I would, I would just get out of the car and go scream into the woods, angry at God. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm like, how could you, like, what have I ever done that? Because my concept of the time is like an editing, he was a, you know, a higher power that was separate of myself mm-hmm. and I needed to lash out on him all the time. And I was like, what, what is like, what did I do as a baby? What, what could I possibly do to be born into a life like this? Like I have done nothing but walk with Jesus. If, if anything for people, I have loved them, accepted them, not judged them. I have gone down so many roads of abuse for them And now this is how I'm being repaid. (laughs) Like not even somebody, even the judge having persuade differently or having a different judge would have changed things. It would have. Mm -hmm. And so, so many things were working against me. And I, I kind of was like, I don't understand a loving God that would put me through such hell and be like, be okay with it. I just, and so I really took some time off from my faith. Yeah. And um, I kind of just went inner. I went to an inner healing and started observing people and their actions and the church and understood that God is not separate of me, that God is a part of me. And if I need to, I need to love myself and look inward in order to have a better outward. Mm-hmm. And so all the traumas that I perceived that I went through, not having boundaries is a big one. Um, and all of that kind of just working through it, I, I understood that, um, that I was the problem actually. So, Mm. uh, that was, you know, I was the one that I could have had a different life, but I chose to listen to others and I, everything I did, I abandoned myself, everything. And finding that, you know, I woke up one morning with tears in my eyes and I'm like, I looked in the mirror and my grandmother was always devoted to tell me like, any type, anytime you look in the mirror and you reject yourself, it's a direct insult to the God that created you because he created you to be amazing and loving and empowering. And I had those in the back of my mind. And then 
I started reading a lot about different other different aspects of religion and where it comes from and really digging deeper into it and finding out that I was rejecting God the entire time. <laughs> wow. Mm. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That little, that little Holy Spirit nudge. Don't do this. Don't do that. Love you. You know, do this. I was rejecting it the entire time to move with the world and not move with my heart. So that was a big, that was a big wake up call for me. Cause I, you know, I realized that I didn't, a lot of the stuff that I did was for other people. I, I sacrificed a lot and I think that's healthy and good, but I think it has a boundary. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It has a boundary. You can't give from an, an empty tank. You, you keep giving, you're just going to destroy yourself and, and realizing like, my gosh, I can do amazing things and pursue a, you know, and helping. And so that's where it's led me into empowering women and know that heck I've been there, but you have got to look inside you and know that that power is there. It is there. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there are people that can rock climb without anything. They are believe in themselves and believe the power of God to hold them up. That is true. I think that is just true, um, true power right there. I, I do find it interesting um, that our behaviors are just oh. um, a uh, a mirror of what of what's within, mm-hmm. and um, you know when we get to that point of looking in, I love how you put it. I, yeah. I'm, I'm actually processing what you're saying because you said Sorry, you know you were rejecting God the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like what? So I'm listening to see where you're going with this, right? <laughs> Right. Like, well, what do you yeah. mean? And then you say, you know, I knew, but I wanted to, I guess, people please if we want to go yes. with that, right? Right. So you wanted to pe- please people right. more than you wanted to please God. That's it. Uh, but you didn't know any better. Like you didn't know the connection no, well, between because, that. Right. Yeah. I because always, it wasn't taught to you, right? No. 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 Yeah. Devotion. Devoting your entire self to, to God is what is why we're here and finding out we're here because, you know, everybody has their own belief system and their own Mm -hmm. opinions. And I value that and respect that. But for my journey, I have found that the power has always been inside of me and I have just neglected it. And knowing that, but other people would tell me from different religions, I was baptized. I've been to many churches because of my mother and seen a lot of different angles of religion and very different on how they practice and this these people practice and like I said it's it's their own you know there's no judgment there they whatever they want but their beliefs were what I was going through what I fed off of I didn't feed off of the authentic and genuine soul of how I why I'm here I fed off of other people's beliefs and never looked inward. I looked outward. I wanted, okay, this pastor's telling me this. I need that. He knows it. <laughs> you know, he's got it. He's devoted his life to, to God and, and he's got it. He understands it. But what I'm finding is that we're all humans and we, we can't go down that direct system because it might, when what might work for somebody, it might not work for anybody else. And all we're here is to have a story to share. That doesn't mean we have to copy the story. But we have to, but it's important, I think, we share our experiences to give, you know, other people a different perspective. But I, what I did is I copied. I copied. Well, you know, it's interesting because as you're saying that, it's so much truth. Um, when, when I think of the conversations that um, Jesus had with different people. Yeah. And what they were supposed to sacrifice to follow him. Mm-hmm. It, they were all different. Like there was yeah. the gentleman with... Um, 
that I needed to sell everything to go follow him. Mm-hmm. And then there was one that he says to him that he needed, uh, I guess I'm a family member. His father died. I can't, I can't remember. And right. he said, let the dead yeah. bury their dead. Yeah. You know, there's certain things. And when I think of that, you know, I, I just, all I think about is the things that we cling to here in life that we make oh, it an excuse so to right. not follow Jesus. That's it. Um, first mm-hmm. and then let these things get taken care of because the Jesus that I know would never not want others to be taken care of. Right. But it's how, if, mm-hmm. if you're following Jesus, that taking care of is more than likely going to look different than what you think. That's true. Yeah. And so um, mm-hmm. I know that, you know, there's definitely scriptures about, you know, honor your father and your mother mm-hmm. um so there's the 10 commandments so it's I, I the older i get it's just like you know this whole christian thing um oh it's so hard it is it, <laughs> it is and it's funny because it's yeah. so simplistic yeah. at the same time right but we complicate it right we, and so yeah right like really just be it's really not that hard like just love thy you know neighbor as thyself type of thing like that's really hard but but you what's have hard to... is not being selfish. That's it. <laughs> not not being all about us. Right. Yeah. And so you kind of look at that with everybody. Everybody, everybody has a different fingerprint, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody. So we're going to touch this world differently than our best friend or our mother or whatever else. Our experiences and our perspective of the things is what's different. And I we need to embrace that. Because you can't, and this is where I, I see a lot of division in religion. It's like, well, if you don't believe this, 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 and this, you're not accepted. And But I'm, I don't understand how that, that's where I get very lost on it. And I think that's, you know, a, a big thing of, you know, we are the church and we are to bring that love and guidance that Jesus walked this earth to for, directly for, as a, as a great example on how to get to there. But you know, I've, oh man, I have read so many different aspects and so many perspectives on people in Jesus. It's, it's phenomenal. Some of them blow me away. Um, Deepak Chopra is one of them. Um, you know, just different aspects. Um, the untethered soul. I don't know if you've ever read that. That was, that was amazing. And just kind of looking spiritually at different aspects and spiritually, of course, but yeah, I, we all have a different view on life and we're supposed to share our experiences and love each other and guide each other. And I, I think that's where we fall short and there's division when we think that that person needs to, has to. Um, I don't know, but that's that's just me anyways. I, I feel like people are, are generally loving and so much trauma has just hurt them and hurt people hurt people, so... That is, that is very true. Mm-hmm. And so where are you now? Like what, with the journey that you've gone into? Oh my gosh. Working I from totally healing. revamped my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> my husband's like, oh my, like, what is going on? Like it's, no, he's at, like I said, I, um, after my, um, heartbreaking divorce and, and going through that for so long, um, I remarried at 20, I was single for four years and got to really express and see myself again. I, I really did. I said, I am not, I am going to focus on my children and me. And that is all I'm going to do. And I had probably such a great time. I went dancing and, and, and met people from different cultures and fell in love with um, Brazilians. I used to work with them and 
they would bring me in and, and show me their side of the world. And I became so, so close to the Brazilian community and, and New England and um, just really kind of figuring out like, okay, what do I do from here? What do, what do I want to do to set an example for my children so they don't have to be shamed into reverting back or going differently, but just setting an example. And, and my biggest one is, you know, no matter what you go through in life, no matter what, there is hope always. And if I can be that example and influence of going from heartbreaking, devastating situations and literally just rubbing the dirt that has been tried to tried to bury me my whole life off and, mm-hmm. you know, just getting up and shining brighter and, and bringing other people up with me. I think that's the best example we can ever set for that. But, um, you know, I, I married my husband. He's a great man. Um, it loves like just the love that I, I was looking for, I guess, and my, my soul needed. And he helped me through the, you know, last part of the divorce and that, you know, he'd go to New York with me to pick up the kids. And he was there when I was crying and upset and couldn't take it anymore. And, um, you know, we went through our hardships together and I, it built us, it, it molded us into something. And, you know, I, I am so empowered because of what I decided to do that one little like I'm done and I'm not going to let anybody hurt me and because when you hurt me you're hurting my kids and those are that's my breath like you know I have to stand tall and strong for my children and if I can't do that I don't have anything left to give because if you understand child psychology you would understand that during a divorce the children if it's a traumatic divorce, they will uh, lean to the strongest parent and the one that they think has all the control. And it wasn't mom. Mm -hmm. And so that was a big eye opener. Even though I was loving and giving and and caring and wanted even the best for their dad, even the best for their dad, even after everything we went through, I, I sat with gratitude and you taught me something that, you know, this life probably, I don't know if it would have been taught later down or whatever, but I got it out of the way early. And so right. I, he was I, that, I, mm-hmm, I do, that I, I hold no grudges and anger. I have let, there is, and I'm telling you, everybody says it. And when they say that, uh, um, forgiving is freedom. I'm telling you right now, I am the absolute example of that. Letting go and knowing that I am pure and loving and I am worthy of, of giving that. And I didn't do anything wrong. I did not, uh, what's the word for it? I didn't go through it with a vindictive soul or angry or whatever, but just yeah. knowing that I threw love at every aspect and every time. And if that's what happened to me, that's fine because Jesus went through hell and then they, they hung or they hung him. My God, sorry. <laughs> And then they killed him for it. So you know what? That's probably, you know, he went down that road. All right. And so if I can go down this road, it's going to be all right. If at the end of the road, there's a cross and I have to be hung on it and killed for it. uh, I still will in the name of Jesus. And I will in the name of love uh, that because I do believe Jesus is love and and God is energy of light and love. And so uh, whatever, whatever I have to be dragged through, I'll do it because I know that I can dust that, that uh, dirt off my, my, my knees at any time now. Before I was, I didn't think I could even do that. I didn't yeah. think, yeah. 
So, yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. I'm sitting sure. here just still like. I'm sorry. Am I rambling? <laughs> did I even make any coherent sense? To any you of did. That? You I'm did. Sorry, you did. my no. Stop yeah. apologizing. No. So my <laughs> <laughs> my mission is to help other women that don't think that they can because of their circumstances of childhood. Don't think that they or the trauma, like because my mom or dad didn't make it this way, or because I didn't have a father and mother at home, or. You know, I am so passionate about women because I know what we can go through and we get hit, 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 and we get back up. And well, that goes well along with the last two questions of of, Mm -hmm. that I asked at the podcast is how you're being salt in the world. So how, how are you doing that? What, what is with your mission? Like how are you concretely um, working on, on helping women? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I joined a, uh, it, came, it fell onto my lap. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't really ready for it. Um, and I joined a, a fair trade mission uh, called Trades of Hope that empowers women all around the world. And, and we're working with about 18 different countries right now. And um, we're doing it by uh, giving a woman a dignified job. Um, and we're doing it by helping them rise themselves out of poverty and um, knowing that they are worthy and loved regardless, and they are not left behind. Okay, they are. We know about that one sheep, and mm-hmm. so they are not. And they and it it has become a fire inside of me. Um, hearing, you know, I thought I had it bad. Oh no, no, uh, yeah. mothers that have to give up their children because they cannot feed them or starvation is an everyday thing that they have to give them uh, cookies that are made out of dirt or, you know, the men just leave and they are left um, to try to take care of their child walking 12, 14 miles to get a, get a thing of water with their child on their back. Like women. And I was like, I got into this because I was like, I, you know, I have this strong passion for and love for women that I want them to be empowered. I, God loves them just as much as he loves me and more. And so, you know, I'm, but they have taught me so much about strength. And I'm like, my, you, <laughs> I was like, the, the tables have turned. And so um, just learning and be befriending them. And I've met a lot of the women that I work with, I partner with, they are my business partners. They are, they are not anything lower than me because of where they were born in this country or in the co- different countries, um, whether they're in the poorest country in the world, we are sisters, we are the same. And so that's, that's been my mission is to, uh, to empower them with a dignified job. And I've seen, I've seen them go to school and, and go to college. Oh, it's just been a, it's been an amazing thing. So if you're ever in the need of accessory or a bag and and want more of a purposeful purchase, um, I definitely would uh, connect with me. So yeah. Trades of hope. I love it. Oh yeah. Um, Now, as you were speaking, I, I, you know, I serve abroad too. And I think one of the things that I tell people like, yeah, I go serve, but really usually I'm the one being served (laughs) because really there is just something about, I mean, not everybody because, you know, we're all humans, but in general, poverty brings a certain um, character, character trait out that excess really squanders Mm -hmm. and it, it drowns. And there's just this humility and joy like no matter what the circumstances are there just is this joy right and um and i will say poor people are 
one of the most generous yes. people too. No, amen. So no. generous. Mm-hmm. They could be starving, but they will give you oh, their part of their food so too. I, it's yeah. it's so yeah, it's humbling and it, it has taught me so so much mm-hmm. uh, on how to give of of what I have um without giving it a second thought. So and it is, it is humbling. Oh, no. And no, so absolutely. from there, I get to ask you yeah. if you were a spice, which one would you be? And how do you bring that to the table? How do you show up? You know, <laughs> spice it by yourself. Are you I, I'm, I'm really want to know. I, I'm so want to know what spice you chose. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> What? You put me on the spot with this one. No, I didn't. I sent you the email. Did you not read it? No. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. That's what you get. Chunky now I really I... want you to be on the spot. Yeah. The email says. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, there you go. I am not feeling one bit bad for you. So now I'm going to put you on the spot. And now yeah. you're really going to have to no, tell me. Go if ahead. you were a spice, yeah. what would it be? And how do you show up the table with that? How do you, how do you flavor the family of God and the world with who you are? What kind of spice would I be? My gosh, I'm not mm-hmm. a much of a baker. <laughs> First of all, I thought you were talking about like spice girl. <laughs> I'm like, well, I think I'm more sporty spice, <laughs> but I'm not, mm, I'm not no. sure. What kind Mm-mm-mm. of spice would I be? Oh, goodness. Oh, inflammation is turmeric a spice yes yeah i think i would be turmeric because it's bright and colorful it's got a lot of light into it and it it helps um homopathically with inflammation and and pain oh yeah i would be a turmeric spice love it Mm -hmm. love it love it yes i take my little turmeric pills I was, I just put it on like, you know, food. I didn't know that you had pills. Yes. They come in little capsules and they already have the pepper in. So you're, you know, your body consumes it and all that. I mean, I have it for cooking too, but I I wouldn't consume enough to put my body in any way. You can swallow that stuff. Yes. Mm -hmm. I will have to look into that for sure. Yeah. I buy it at Costco. (laughs) We don't have a Costco around here. We have a BJ's. Yeah, I don't know what BJ's. Yeah, it's like Sam's Club, I guess. Mm -hmm. No, I was going to say, I don't know what BJ has. We have BJ's, we have Sam's, and we have Costco around here. You're so lucky. Where are you Mm -hmm. related to the Pocono Mountains? Are you guys close Oh, about, gosh, how far am I from the Poconos? Like south of that. I love it. Um, I don't remember. It's been years since I've been there. I want to say like two hours. Really? That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's not that far. Do you go down there often? Well, no, but I want no. to because I've been, <laughs> gosh, traveling from mid the Midwest to New Hampshire four or five times a year. I pass it <laughs> gotcha. a lot. So I'm like, well, I'll have to take a skiing trip and go visit you. Oh, yeah, no. Okay, yeah, you can come visit me. Yeah. I'm not going skiing. Oh. That's cold. <laughs> oh, girl. Cold. Snowshoeing? You want to go for, snowshoeing? For... Are you that type of girl? You want to snowshoe? What, what what is that? You throw snow things in the snow? Yeah, like, what, what is throw, snowshoeing? Snowshoeing is when it's like a it looks like, it looks like a tennis racket. <laughs> oh, and you, and what, and you walk on the snow with that? Yeah, you like and do what? You put it and, on your, and freeze. 
Well, you, your boot like goes into it like a ski, but it's like a tennis racket. And then you, you can walk through snow in it. It's been a, it's a huge, it's one of those huge things New Englanders do during the winter but, time. But I don't see here. Let, let's talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's cold. It's snowy. And, you know, snow does make all the brown all that beautiful. Oh, but but if you're going out yeah. to yeah. walk, there's nothing else to see but white. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you outside? Girl, you know I like my photos, so I like light. Light is – snow is perfect for taking photos. Okay. Mm. I'll take those from the window. <laughs> all right. <laughs> when I'm nice and cozy in my blanket of love. Literally. <laughs> I, I love snow, but I love it from the house. So when yeah. it snows and everything's pretty, I'm like, oh, it's beautiful. And then either I take a picture from the window or I'll go, oh, yeah, I'll go one, two, three. I'll go outside and click and then back inside. I'm like, oh, look at my pretty picture. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're a riot. I love you. Oh, hot mess. <laughs> oh, yes. No, we don't go outside. I used to go sledding. That was the only thing. There you that go. Hey. But my coccyx made out with a chunk of ice and they had a hot, hot romance. Oh man. And now I'm afraid of sledding because I hurt for a long time. <laughs> oh, girl. My butt hurt for a long yeah. time. You know, so now I won't even go sledding. So you remember National Lamp? Have you seen that? Of course. You better have seen it's that. It's been years. Okay. Well, you know where they grease up his slide and he goes flying down the hill and it goes on. It's like it catches on fire, gets flames behind it. Gosh, no, yeah. I'm going to have to watch it oh, again because it's been years. What is happening? You haven't, you don't watch that movie every Christmas? No. I'm sending it to you. Give me an address. This is <laughs> oh, my birthday. Terrible. My birthday's next month. I started celebrating it yesterday because apparently I, I didn't know we had a Hispanic some, Heritage Month. Yes, you're making some goodies I'm jealous about. <laughs> girl. Oh, girl. Well, listen, sweetie, thank you so much yeah. for being on and talking about your journey. Um, and it was just great to put a voice to the face and the eyes. Oh my goodness. And, um, <laughs> so I will be seeing you on the Facebooks. On the book. And no, we don't know how we started. We're- no, we don't. I love, yeah. <laughs> we have to go out there and put a message out and ask who, who, yeah, who, who introduced us, us or something. Oh my we goodness. To, yeah. Yeah. All right, girlfriend, you give that girl, spicy girl of yours, a hug and a kiss for me. Cause she makes me laugh. <laughs> I got to get her soon here. Thank you. She is a hot mess. All right. Doesn't have any anything that tells her not to do stuff. It's not implanted in that brain when she was born. So, <laughs> so much for having me on and letting me be able to share with your community um, about struggles and how we can overcome them despite um, what we've been through and we can keep on keeping on. Well, my thing is keep on loving on. So. Oh, I love that. Keep on loving on. Right. <laughs> 